all one in Christ. We, in our fourth week on a series of messages uh, entitled Painkillers, these messages are designed and we're hoping that they will help us deal with issues and know what the scripture says about issues that are devastating and often cause us to be numbed to the goodness and the grace of God. The past three weeks, we've talked about uh, depression followed by disease last week, divorce. Today, uh, we want to talk about discrimination, discrimination in the church and in the community. At the conclusion of this service, I'm going to uh, introduce to you and present to you Brother Wayne Messam, who will be running for uh, the seat, vacant seat, a seat for city commission for the city of Miramar. We're proud of him as a son of our church. And I'll introduce him at the end of service. But as election day comes around, most of the women who will stand in line and who will go into um, the ballot box on that day will not think twice, will not think for one moment that for most of the history of the United States, women have not been permitted to vote for the grand, most of the history of the United States, women were not permitted at all to, to vote. And the reason they could not vote, they were prohibited. It was a simple act of discrimination, gender discrimination. And it is somewhat amazing, brothers and sisters, what gender, skin color, texture of hair, or the lack of cash can keep you out of. As far as we are concerned, most of us still believe that there is a right side and the wrong side of the tracks. And woe be unto the sister who cannot afford to buy some tracks. You may not be able to get in the door without some tracks. But discrimination is anti-Christ. It's not consistent with the kingdom principles. It does not merely keep people out, but it shapes and injures people's minds. If one encounters discrimination early enough and regularly enough, one begins to believe that female means less than male and that dark skin means dumber and that bigger houses mean bigger brains and that the continent of your origin determines the quality of your character. But in the beginning, God created man and woman, male and female, and he did not create them, one being less than the other. For a long time, men have thought that they were, and that we are, I can't say that, we are superior to women. And as much as it hurts me to admit it, we are not superior to women. Amen. Uh, men and women are different but men are not superior to women. 
When you read the Bible, the biblical narrative shows us that very early on, Cain thought that he was superior to his brother Abel. He did not have to put forth the same effort. He didn't want to put forth the same effort, but he wanted the same degree of blessing. He thought himself superior. And he put in motion the tendency people to think that they are superior to others. The British, the Spanish, the French, the Portuguese, and the Germans all thought that, but they are all wrong. Discrimination is divisive. And there's no place for discrimination in the church of God. Discrimination always destroys. It never helps. It never blesses. And you show me a person who is afflicted by self-hatred. And we will trace it back to overexposure to prolonged discrimination. Now, being a Christian, being born again, means that we should resist the tendency. Somebody say tendency. Because we are all capable of discriminating against others. We should resist the tendency to discriminate against others. For your worksheet, as we begin to fill in the blanks on our worksheet, the Will of, will of God is accomplished through unity and not through division. Psalm 133 says this, how beautiful and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Discrimination, in other words, is wrong and unacceptable in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, be completely humble and gentle. Amen. Somebody say humble and gentle. And then it says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. And one baptism, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Our text, verse 27, Galatians chapter 3, says that our baptism, that we are baptized into Christ. And because we, have bap we are baptized into Christ, Paul describes it as that we have put on Christ. When we are baptized, we have put on Christ. In other words, he is saying that one of the reasons that we don't discriminate against each other is because we have been baptized. I stopped by here this morning to say that baptism is not just about getting wet. I wish I had somebody here that be, ba baptism is not just about taking a stroll down the aisle and getting in the pool to impress people. Baptism is about a changed life and a changed heart. But it's not a changed life that you have changed. It's a changed life that Jesus has changed. In other words, baptism is not saying anything about my goodness, but baptism is saying everything about his goodness. Baptism is not saying when you look at me, I'm good. But what baptism is saying, because I've been baptized and I've been baptized publicly, when you look at me, I hope you see Jesus. Because when I got baptized, I not only was baptized into Jesus, but I also put on Jesus. Yeah, I put on, I put on Jesus. I put, I put 
on Jesus Christ. On Friday, I uh, uh, journeyed over to Fort Lauderdale to the uh, Broward County Courthouse, and there I witnessed Judge Michael Robinson, he was attorney Michael Robinson, and Judge Michael Robinson be robed as a circuit county uh, court judge. He was, he was robed. And they call it the robing ceremony. When I walked into the juror room where the activity took place, I saw Judge Robinson. He had on his suit and clothes just like everybody else. But it came a certain point in time where they introduced him. And when they introduced him as the new circuit uh, court judge, they put the robe on him. Now, I said to him after the uh, robe, I said, Judge, the robe is supposed to mean something. In other words, there's a difference in the person once you put the robe on. I wish I had, in other words, what happens when I put the robe on, I'm at the same height. I have the same weight. I have the same skin color. I have the same genetic code. But when I put the robe on, that is an indicator that there's a greater expectation of my life. And how I behave has to be dictated by the robe that I wear. I can no longer function according to the whims of my own personality and the dictates of my own character flaws. I have to rise above it because I'm wearing the robe of justice and the robe of impartiality. But my brothers and sisters, it's also the same for us who are Christians. Once we become believers, this text tells us that first, all believers for your worksheet, all believers should be baptized. Baptism ought not be a cafeteria experience where I say maybe I will or maybe I won't. Baptism ought not be subjected to the flipping of a coin or it ought not be subjected to my own preferences. Jesus said, whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said to the church, go into the world and make disciples of all men and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and understand what he does in my life and what he did on the cross, my next act of of obedience is as soon as I can to get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ's name to be baptized because baptism says something about who I am. In other words, just as Judge Robinson cannot be a judge in the court and not a judge in public, wherever he is, he's judged now. Once you become a Christian, amen, once you become a Christian, you're a Christian now, and therefore your baptism says publicly that you have put on Christ. Now, here's the thing, my brothers and sisters. Once we have put on Christ, because the baptized, the baptized, Those who are baptized, the born again, those who are saved, there's a uniform dress code for us. We all are called to put on Christ, to robe ourselves with Christ. And see, once we put on Christ, we are not permitted to take Christ off. I wish I had somebody. You see, when the judge leaves his chambers, he can leave his robe in the chambers. But for us... Once we put on Christ, we do not have the liberty to take Christ, to leave Christ at home. We are Christians wherever we go. Amen. So I just want to say, you know, however you love to dress, you know, when you come out the house, I, I, I believe 
and being dressed. You can dress to impress, you know, shine your shoes, get your Armani suits or your Versace or your fat farm or your rocker, rocker wear, you know, whatever you like, you know, whatever you can afford, put it on and look good. But that's on your flesh. You must make sure, though, that your spirit is clothed. Come on now. Clothed with Jesus Christ. What's going to give you power? in society what's going to give you strength what's going to help you sustain your character it's not the fashion that comes uh, from paris or new york but it is the the fashion that came from the cross on golgotha's hill when i put jesus on and so paul says that we're clothed with christ and once we put him on we don't we don't take him off yeah. baptism points to a spiritual work in my heart. When I get baptized, I say, God has done something in my life. And I cannot desecrate the new birth. I cannot desecrate the new life in Christ by mistreating others based on gender, race, culture, class, skin color, financial status, education, or any other superficial characteristic. Discrimination is devastating. It's devastating to a disciple, and it is also devastating for a disciple. In other words, discrimination hurts the person who is discriminated against, but it also hurts the person who is discriminating. When we discriminate, we mess up other people, but we are at the same time messing ourselves up also. In other words, I cannot mistreat you based on characteristics that you have no control over and fail to not mistreat myself. The Bible says we are one body. And when there is discrimination within the church, we are hurting others and we are hurting ourselves. Because we are part of the same body. So if I hurt you, look over you, look past you, judge you, ignore you, exclude you because of some physical characteristic or place of origin, the color of your hair, the length of your hair, where you're from, I'm not only hurting you, but I'm also hurting myself. Now, I wish the church were not guilty of discrimination, that this was only a problem outside of our doors that we had to deal with. But the truth is, discrimination also takes place within the context of the church. Paul talks about three types of discrimination here. He talks about ethnic discrimination. There's neither Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile. We're all one. He talks about class discrimination. There's not bond or free. He talks about gender discrimination, male or female. We're all one in Jesus Christ. But I want, I want, to, I want, to, I want to submit a, a whole, another type of discrimination that takes place in the church other than ethnicity and class and gender. And that is a discrimination that takes place based on spiritual gifts, based on spirituality, how we perceive one another spiritually. You see, one type of discrimination 
Class discrimination may be based on the have cash and the have not cash. But spiritual gifts discrimination is based on this. Those who we believe to be super spiritual are treated differently than those who we believe to have a deficit in their spirituality. Y'all are quiet on me, but I know I'm bowling down a lane here. Yeah, yeah, those who know the language of the church, you know, the praise the Lord, I'm blessed and highly favored, too blessed to be stressed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's the highest praise. We, those who know the language may be treated differently than those who don't talk in such codes. Yeah, yeah, we think toting the Bible is the same thing as walking the Bible. Yeah, yeah, but, but, there, but there. And so we judge, we judge people, we judge people, we judge people based on how we perceive them to be spiritually. Uh, yeah, I'm by myself, but I'm going to make it. Yeah, yeah. They're discriminated against based on how we think they are measuring up on the litmus test of spirituality. And see, this is what took place in the church at Corinth. Paul did not have to deal with gender issues or race issues, but there was another type of discrimination taking place where those who were super spiritual were uh, mistreating those who they thought were less spiritual. And look, what happened in that church had all kinds of gifts. And it's interesting that gifted people feel the need to discriminate against others. When God has blessed you already, come on now, when God has already opened up doors of opportunity because of your abundance of giftedness. And sometimes those who are most gifted feel the need to use their gifts and, and the power and the influence that their gifts give them to keep others out. But I know that being a Christian is not about keeping anybody out. Being a Christian is about opening the door as wide as we can and letting as many people as we can into the kingdom of God. And so in the church at Corinth, what was happening, what was happening was that the prophets were dissing the teachers. And those who talked in tongues were dissing those who had wisdom. And those who were administrative in their gifts didn't like the people who had creative abilities to teach and communicate. In other words, if you weren't in my camp, if you weren't in my group, if you weren't in my clique, if you didn't roll with me in our giftedness, I wish I had some help. And yeah, if you, 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 didn't, you didn't talk in tongues and, and if you didn't interpret tongues, that's one camp. Those who were administratively strong, they hung together. But the body of Christ is not meant to be divided into sections. It is designed that all of these gifts would work cooperatively together so that the kingdom of God, not the gifts of God, but that the kingdom of God might be exalted. The doors of the kingdom, not the doors to the gifts, but the doors to the kingdom might be open. God will take care of the gifts. He wants us to take care of the doors of the kingdom so that others might come in. While we get focused and stuck on our gifts, what happens is that we become so preoccupied with our giftedness is that we force other people to be excluded. Yeah, there are literally some camps, some groups, some organizations, some, some press cells, some, some uh, groups that folk can't get in because they're not spiritual enough. Yeah, 
every form of discrimination is based on the belief that either I'll be contaminated if you're with me and my gift will be diminished, or it's based on the belief that if you get yours, I can't get mine. In other words, there's not enough to go around. It's what Stephen Covey calls the scarcity mentality. Yeah, that if, 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 if you get yours, there won't be enough for me. But I have good news for us today that we're not serving the federal government and waiting in line for them to distribute um, us some stamps or some cheese. Cheese might run out. Come on now. We're not waiting for some peanut butter and some jelly, yeah, uh, from the federal government. That, that might run out. We're not waiting for the federal government in terms of making sure that our health care is in line. That might run out. We're not, gonna, we're not talking about the creator of Social Security. That r- might run out. But we're talking about a God, yes, God who created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells me that there is not, nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be any shortage in God. That's why I like Paul who said that, listen, Paul said, I know y'all think I'm stuck and I'm dependent on y'all and that I'm not going to make it. He said, but let me drop a little something, something on you. My God shall supply. Oh, y'all need to check this. He said, he shall supply all of my needs, not according to the riches of Rome, not according to the riches of Thessalonica, but according to his riches in glory. And then he put something else by Christ Jesus. He said, yeah, that's not going to be any lack nor any loss because my supply is all tight. My supply is inexhaustible. And the one who supplies it never runs out. And see, my brothers and sisters, we don't have to discriminate because God has your blessing on lock. Can I get some help? Hey, hey, listen, listen, listen. You ain't got to discriminate. You ain't got to stick your nose up at anybody. You got to talk behind somebody's back. God has your blessing on lock. There's nobody that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Just as um, one person can receive it, so can you. But you know, there's an interesting verse, third chapter, first John says, almost as like it, it jumps off the page. The guy has an afterthought, like, he got hit by the Holy Spirit. Pen just took off on his own. He says, Behold, we are now the sons, we are now the children of God. He said, and it doesn't even yet appear what we shall be. It's like this thing came to him like a revelation. We are the children of God. Now, the, the interesting thing about that. He's saying all of us are God's children. The dark skin and the light skin, the long hair and the no hair, long money, no money, male and female, Asian and African, European. 
He says, this is the description of all of us included in God's kingdom. He says, we are his sons and we are his daughters. And we have become his sons and his daughters because of Christ's work of inclusion. And we're all standing in line together expecting God to deliver a blessing into our lives. But if we're honest, if we're honest, the person in front of you and the person behind you may not be aware of it. But if you're honest, you know you're not supposed to be in that line. Because in the line is supposed to be those who are righteous and who have met the expectation of God. But standing in the line, waiting to receive the blessings of God and sonship and daughtership, are not only those who've never done much sin, but Brother John is also the folks who have a U-Haul full of sin. Yeah, standing in the line are the liars and the cheaters and the meddlers in other people's business and the drunks, and the druggies, and the stingy, and the arrogant, and the selfish, and the proud, all standing in the line, check this out, expecting God to answer prayers, provide blessings, watch over their lives, protect them, lead them, guide them. Perhaps we qualify to be kicked out of the line. Yeah. But here's Jesus. Jesus. One line. Some folk have never done much at all. Some have never taken a drink. Some have never seen a drink they didn't take. Some have never cheated on their spouse. Some have a horrible record of fidelity. Some have never missed a tithe. Some have never paid a tithe. Some have never witnessed some witness with their lives every day. Some have. Do not practice dishonesty. Some are dishonest. I'm not talking about before they're saved. I'm talking about after they know Christ. And yet God does never send us a text message, an email, a fax saying, get out of the line. Oh, I don't understand it. I don't understand. Behold, now we are the sons and the daughters of God. Oh, I know we should be kicked out. I know we should be left off. I know I'm disqualified. But because of something called the grace of God, grace and mercy don't qualify. I disqualified myself. I know in my heart. And yet, he says, stay in line. What kind of God is that? Oh, I know we can rise above our superficial pettiness of excluding and looking over other people. If God can look over our stuff and say, stay in line. I know, I know we can rise above our pettiness. Oh, we have a great God, don't we? 
We have a great God. Oh, I'm about to shout when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me. The fact that I woke up this morning not on my own merits. The fact that there's food that I didn't provide and resources and health that I didn't provide. The fact that I have a mind to even want to be around Jesus. You know, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, I wish I had two or three people in the house that would just give God praise for what he has done for you, where he has brought you from. Anybody in the house ever been stuck and could not get out but you're out today oh hallelujah wasn't our own merit I know we can get over it I know we can get over it I know we can become a people that rises above the pettiness and rest and trust in the grace of God clap your hands and give him praise